Triathlon Show 296. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview coach Björn Andersson. Björn is a Swedish triathlon coach and uh, he's coaching both age groupers as well as professionals, including uh, most notably uh, Patrick Nilsson, who is one of the fastest long distance athletes in the world. Björn is also a former professional triathlete himself. And in this episode, we will discuss Björn's thoughts on training and coaching, some specific uh, topics and advice on swim training, bike training and run training, and uh, some other bits and pieces related to both age group athletes training as well as uh, tips for professionals or aspiring professionals. Before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration create electrolyte products and carbohydrate products for training and racing. If you want to optimize your performance in hot or humid conditions, avoid cramping and make sure that your hydration is on point, then take Precision Hydration's free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy. Uh, in terms of energy intake and carbohydrate intake, use their quick carb calculator to get fueling recommendations. And finally, you can book a free one-on-one consultation to refine your hydration and fueling strategy with one of Precision Hydration's experts. You have links in the episode description and show notes to all of these things mentioned. And you can get 15% off your first order of electrolytes or the Precision Fuel carbohydrate products with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka create exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits, tri-suits, swim skins, goggles, performance sunglasses, as well as prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses. Their products are trusted by world-leading athletes such as Lucy Charles Barclay, Javier Gomez, Flora Duffy, Morgan Pearson, Summer Rappaport, and many others in triathlon, cycling, speed skating, and many other sports. In all of these product categories mentioned, Roka's products are based on highly innovative research and development, as well as attention to every single detail with no shortcuts taken, just an intense focus on optimizing performance, function, comfort, and design. You can get 20% off your entire Roka order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Bjorn Andersson. Today's guest on the Traffic Show is uh, Bjorn Andersson from Sweden. Uh, Bjorn, welcome. How are you doing? Uh, thank you very much and thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing uh, great here in Sweden. Uh, it's uh, good to have you. Uh, let's start by you just giving the audience an introduction of yourself, your background, and uh, your current uh, work in coaching. Uh, yeah, so I've been. Uh, I started off uh, triathlon at a really young age in Sweden uh, in the early nineties, actually. So I've been uh, been in the sport for a long time, and uh, uh, I was a pro- professional triathlete from uh, the early two thousands until. 2011 when i uh, stopped so i had a reasonably long career with uh, some some good races and some <laughs> some bad ones and uh, uh i actually stopped because some i had a lot of overtraining uh, problems uh, and then i uh, went into coaching as a lot of other uh, professional athletes do 
uh, and I also had uh, been studying a little bit before I was uh, a pro triathlete, so I had that background and uh, enough knowledge to, or enough background to to be able to uh, seek out new knowledge and keep me up up to date within in the field of uh, training and uh, exercise physiology. So, so I've been doing that for. Uh, for about 10 years now and I coach uh, a few pros such as Patrick Nilsson and some other Swedish pros uh, along with uh, with some age, age group triathletes so a good mix yep and uh, I understand that you also do bike fitting yes that's uh, that's another thing um, that's something I was uh, always very interested in uh, when I was an athlete myself uh, and I also had a opportunity to work with some uh, some experts in that field such as uh, steve head uh, so uh, that that was a big interest of mine and uh, it was also natural to start uh, doing that a bit more when i uh, and do bike fits bike fits with uh, other athletes when i stopped racing myself so so i do i would say i do do a little bit more coaching than bike fits but uh quite a lot of both yeah you you mentioned the overtraining training that you had as a professional athlete yourself uh do you what do you think that that what was that something that you knew at the time that you were overtrained, or is it something that you figured out later that uh, that was actually what was going on and, and it was something that you didn't quite put your finger on it at the time what, what was it like uh i kind of uh it's uh, it was i think mostly down to how my personality works with uh with that stuff uh, i'm i'm a reasonably uh, rational person no- normally but not when it comes to uh my own performances and my own training and I, I was highly motivated and uh but i was never content or happy with uh, anything i did so if i did did a good workout or uh with good numbers uh, i was never really happy with that i always tried to uh, see how i could make it better and that can be quite destructive at times so uh, uh is that something that I now kind of knew in coaching that you that you're very aware of and uh aware of when to when to hold your hold your athletes back uh in, in that regard yes for sure i mean uh it all depends on the athletes. Some athletes you you have to hold back, and I can see some of the warning signs and uh, like the personality type that can be uh, destructive at sometimes. Uh, and others you have to push a bit more. And uh, of course, being highly motivated and wanting to do more, that can if you harness it uh, the right way, it's it's a uh, it's a good thing. But uh, it can also be uh, be too much. Yeah um if you were to describe uh, at a high level a given overview of your coaching or training philosophy uh what uh, what would that look like what 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 do you think are the most important things when it comes to training for triathlon uh i mean it's cliche but i think uh being able to uh have consistency in training and set up a training program that you can do uh, you know repeat over time and uh, without breaking down and uh, uh, without excessive fatigue is uh, is the most important part and then uh, of course there are uh, 
a number of things you can uh, can do with training to optimize things. But uh, I think if, if I look at an age group level or uh, kind of people starting a little bit later, I think that's uh, that's kind of overriding uh, everything else. Whereas with the uh, professionals, you have to uh, who have been training. A number of years, the details are get more and more important. But it also, I don't really have a, a philo- certain philosophy set in stone when when it comes to what training the athletes do, because I think it's, it depends a bit on on their individual physiology and uh, and, and what they need. So I try to uh, adapt and adjust depending on uh, training data and how how they respond to uh, to training. Yeah. When it comes to achieving that consistency in training, uh, are there any specific things there that you would advise listeners, uh, especially on the age group side? What are the main things that they can do to uh, to to manage to achieve that consistency? Some some specific aspects regarding their training planning. Uh, I think just uh, to be realistic with. Uh, uh, where their current fitness are is and uh, also how much time they actually have to train and to recover because uh, uh, I see a lot of uh, athletes coming in with very high ambitions which is it's a good thing but uh, uh, but they start doing too much maybe they do more training than they can absorb which is uh, uh, which works for uh, for a while but uh, then you you start to break down. So start at a realistic level and build slowly and slowly. It uh, it can be frustrating to have that uh, to have to do that, but it's it always works over time, and uh, it, it's better than doing start doing too much, and uh, then you have to take several step backs and and start over again. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, that approach has taken a lot longer than actually being patient and starting at the right level. I mean, it's, it's very basic, but it's something that uh, uh, many people get wrong, I think. Absolutely, yeah. And on the professional side, when we have athletes that are very fit, they have quite a few years of training experience behind them. Uh, what do you think for professionals that may be do not do so, such a good job of achieving consistency do you see a trend is there something that they seem to get wrong more often than something else i'm thinking about is more often that they do too much volume or too much intensity or maybe just uh, under appreciating the recovery needs uh, do, do, you, do you have any any thoughts around that or is it really across the board and difficult to say which one is more common than the other uh yeah i think it's difficult to say but i i also think uh it has gotten much uh much more professional uh lately than than it used to be when i started because then it was uh everything was volume and the more you did the better it was and uh, i think a lot of people uh work themselves in, into the ground that way and now it's more professional you have more so there's more science behind behind the training in in, in certain ways. Uh, so I think that's a lot better. Yeah. But in in some ways, it's it's like you say, it's the same. You can people do too much of uh, one thing, and 
you know are afraid to take take that step back and and look at the, the bigger picture but uh and, and then i also think uh, like there are individual needs in training and some people should maybe not do uh, too much high intensity at all while some maybe uh, can benefit from doing more so i think the the big thing is kind of figuring that one out mm, yep uh, if we compare then and now a little bit how much uh usually would you train how much volume would you have in a typical week or even if you know your yearly numbers and and if we compare that to somebody like patrick nilsson uh how how much would he train roughly uh in in this day and age um so so when i was uh, uh was growing up with triathlon i uh, i kind of had to f- figure everything out myself and then i started training a little bit with uh people such as gordon burn and uh scott molina and uh, uh like like the old school guys and, uh, and that that would, they they did a lot of volume mostly and uh obviously had a lot of great success so my my training was in some ways uh, a bit different i did i did a bit more uh intensity uh, early on in the season and then more and more specific workouts but uh, like my big uh training weeks during my specific preparation before a race they would be uh, uh typically i would do uh, the first three days of the week i would do a five hour ride a six hour ride a seven hour ride and uh, i would do uh uh, some running and some swimming with that and then i would do a, a long two and a half hour run the fourth day and then i would do a tempo and sweet spot work four hours three hours two hours the last three days of the week uh, with with running and swimming again so which was uh, uh way way more than i could handle so if i compare that to something like uh, patrick would do uh, like during his specific training he does uh, like some of the same stuff, uh, tempo uh, and kind of sweet spot uh, workout, longer intervals, intervals within the uh, the long rides and runs. But uh, it's a lot more balanced and uh, uh, more more built in recovery and uh, and such. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of difference, and and he is also someone. Uh, uh, like his specific profile he uh, we have worked a little bit more on his top end during uh, uh, the er- very early part of the seasons to uh, hopefully translate that to uh, uh, a higher level uh, during the specific prep because his yeah his uh, power profile is uh, is quite flat as it is so. yeah what are some other differences between the way that you and other professionals used to train uh, in the early 2000s or so compared to the way that you coach now, some things that have changed in your thinking or in the sport in general? Uh, Like I mentioned, intensity is one such thing. I mean, I don't, uh, like I said, not not everyone should should maybe do too much intensity as a long-distance triathlete, but uh, for some people, like that, you can have some some benefits there as well i think and uh back then that was kind of uh unheard of uh <laughs> that you did uh, intensity at any time of the year so i think uh, that is kind of a big difference 
that that you actually do some of that in, instead of only uh, very very high volume all the time. Uh, and another thing is uh, power meters and stuff. Uh, of course, power meters were around during that time as well, but you you didn't have many options, so and not as many people trained by it and. Uh, the knowledge and uh, analysis of power data and stuff wasn't, uh, you know, at the same level as it is today. So you can do a lot more, and you, you know, the knowledge knowledge overall is is a lot higher. I would I would say. Uh, yeah. Uh, if we go into uh, a discussion on each of the three disciplines, and uh, if you can give some a couple of pieces of advice uh for improving each of the three disciplines uh let's start with the with a swim what would be two one to three key takeaways for swimming for triathletes uh swimming is uh, if you haven't if you start at a uh, at an older age so to speak uh swimming is difficult and uh, again i think uh, at some point you just have to uh get the work done and there are so many different ideas about swimming that it's hard to kind of pinpoint uh, uh, what's the optimal way i think uh, but but you have to you absolutely have to swim quite a bit and consistently to uh, to swim well i think if you want to do uh, if you want to optimize your swim ability i, I think you, you need to swim do a lot of swimming and you, you can and I don't think you should use like a pool buoy and, uh, you know, this uh, neoprene swim pants too much. Uh, I think they're good sometimes because they allow you to swim more and uh, they allow you to swim when you're tired. But I think s- some people use it too much as a crutch. So uh, so that's one thing. I think, uh, I think you have to do some easy swimming as well. And, uh, you know, if you train as a swimmer, you they tend to do... Uh, you know, a lot of intensity uh, all the time in every workout. And this is, I think, in triathlon, a lot of swimmers do that as well. But I think I think it's important to do some, some easy swimming um, as well, you know, like, like you do in all, all the other disciplines. Otherwise, it will be uh, too much if you look at the big picture. Uh, so... So those things, not not overcomplicating things, basically. Yeah, I think that uh, that point about the easy swimming is is interesting. It's uh, really something I've been thinking about a lot, uh, also from the perspective of just uh, physiologically or metabolically. Uh, that's something that a lot of people easily uh, don't get that sort of low intensity stimulus. So potentially even losing out on things like being able to use uh, a, a, bit, a bit more fat for fuel in swimming if they're always going at sort of relatively close to threshold and because in swimming we have especially adult onset swimmers have a small range of available paces and intensities compared to a really fast pool swimmer it it, it ends up being very you very easily get drawn into that always swimming at at least sort of a tempo kind of effort very quite close to threshold and 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 i think that yeah maybe even from a physiological perspective that is something that you really actively need to work against and sometimes making sure that you actually are swimming really 
easy. And I think a, a tool that I found is quite useful to see if you manage that is uh, a, heart, a heart rate monitor in swimming. Uh, I, I think that's that's something that I found quite useful to see uh, what your uh, what your actual intensity is when you're swimming. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. I, I think uh, a lot of people work <laughs> a lot harder than they think in the pool. And uh, uh, I think you have to uh, uh, sometimes, you ha- yeah, like I said, you have to look at the big picture as well. You can't can't just take what you do in, in one discipline and apply it uh, straight across for, for triathlon. Like you say, it's uh, uh, if you always go go quite hard that that will have a you know a metabolic Im- impact on uh, on the training in in you know if you look at the big picture so so i think it's uh, i think it's important from from that perspective to do some easy swimming and i also think it's uh, even sometimes from a technique perspective because uh, you kind of uh, if you want to be a balanced swimmer you have to be able to hold technique and your uh, you know your position in the water without uh, working really hard that that's also important for uh, for when you're racing because uh, if you're not uh, you know swim have a really good swim fitness the if you go work too hard uh, in an ironman swim for example like that, that can affect your uh, performance a lot on the bike and the run because it's really hard to get that uh, heart rate down uh, even if uh, you know, even if you try to to work, <laughs> you know, get it down and 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 do a bit more easy in the beginning. So, so I think it's it's really important from a lot of yeah lot of perspectives. Yeah, and and over three thousand eight hundred meters of swimming, if you're swimming a bit too intensely, relatively speaking, then you can really burn through a lot of carbohydrate and you can't refuel during the swim you need to to compensate for that on the bike but uh, but no matter how good a job you do at compensating if you if you really just swim too hard then you're already starting on the back foot when it comes to a, just a substrate and uh, fueling perspective with being yeah just being too depleted already at the start of the bike compared to where where you ideally should be considering that you still have 180 kilometers on the bike and 42 kilometers on the run to go i I think that what when it comes to actually coaching and structuring sessions so that to facilitate the easy swimming i I find that uh, giving longer intervals uh, is helpful because that helps people slow down a bit so instead of if you have a for an age grouper, let's say a 2000 meter main set of just easy endurance swimming instead of giving 10 times 200s, giving four times 500 would be more beneficial if you really want them to swim slow enough. Uh, because yeah, or I think that's one thing when we split swimming into intervals and in particular the short intervals, then it easily becomes a case of always swimming a bit harder than you maybe should be swimming. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's a good point because uh, it's like you say if you give give an athlete uh, an opportunity to go harder and which you do when you uh, when you give shorter intervals then they will uh, more likely uh, go harder so yeah uh, or faster so the the flip side of that is that uh, over five hundred meters uh, most athletes are more likely to maybe. Uh, maybe lose focus a bit and and not think so much about technique so so that's where having frequent breaks let's say 200s instead of 500s 
can be beneficial in that sense that you can more easily refocus but but i think that's just something that yeah you you need to train that train that ability to focus for a longer time and and build up to that and then and then just try to do that even though it's it's harder uh to to focus for for a longer time like that in the pool and you're just following the black line but but um yeah it's it's something to be aware of as well to uh as long as you're aware of the fact the tendency that most people tend to start to lose focus or the course of longer intervals then then it's more easy more easy to counter it yeah i think i mean uh, in in general with swimming there are lots of trade-offs you have to do and you have to adapt to uh depending on the athlete as well where they are at i mean some uh if you have uh someone who has not been swimming a lot at all uh doing too long intervals uh i mean it can be uh detrimental as well because they can't can't do it so so you, you have no choice but th- then as you say if you have more experienced athletes uh, then learn learning how to stay focused and uh, working on the technique even in in longer intervals it's uh, that's probably a good thing yeah. uh, now let's move on to the bike so, so what are a few uh, key pieces of advice that you would give regarding bike training uh, it's. Uh, I mean, uh, I think the the most commonly asked question for that I get is, uh, what's the the best uh, bike workout <laughs> to get me stronger on the bike? Uh, and uh, to me, there, you know, there's not like really one workout that makes a difference. Again, it's what what you're. It's not about a hero workouts. It's about uh, you know what you can uh, back up from from week to week. So. Uh, when it comes to bike training, it's not nothing complicated either. But uh, I, I tend to do to write quite simple workouts that you can, uh, <laughs> you know, remember without uh, uh, problem. And uh, so, so j- just a si- simple structure and uh, doing the right work at the right time. So if I, uh, you know, if I structure a more high intensity workout, I just do a let's say trainer workout i would do a 10 minute warm-up and then some maybe 10 10 15 minutes uh, uh you know at around 75 to 80 percent of threshold power around there and then i would just do the main set you know straightforward and uh because it's in my opinion that those like simple structure makes makes it really easy to uh, control progression and your training stress and uh, you know I don't uh, you know I, I think you have to uh, let the body adapt to uh, the training you give it so I don't I don't write a completely different uh, training session from week to week uh, I let you should let the athlete adapt to. Uh, to the work they do and then i change something i increase the difficulty a little bit but the structure of the workout is uh, is similar the intervals might get a bit longer or they might do one more interval or something if it's if that's the focus during that period but uh so so i would say it's just fi- find a structure again that works and uh do easy simple workouts that you that that are easy to uh you know control the training load yeah and and what would you say for a typical age grouper is the balance between doing those harder workouts whether they are you know high intense intervals or kind of threshold work or sweet spot work versus just getting in some endurance work uh, at lower intensities 
Uh, I think it just uh, depends on. Uh, I mean, I tend to, uh, for most athletes I coach, I tend to do uh, like the general training uh, quite early on, so a bit more intensity uh, early on in the season. Uh, maybe some VO two max workout, and then uh, you know those intensities you kind of uh, max out your gains a little bit earlier. So when when there's no uh, when they don't develop more from that, I kind of move on to uh, some threshold-like stuff and uh, then sweet spots and specific training. So that's kind of for, for a typical athlete, that's uh, how I construct like the season and where, when to do what kind of workouts. But then again, there are some athletes I don't do any intensity with at all. So that I think, again, the, the difficult part is figuring that out, what, what training... Uh, each athlete needs but uh, i think at some point it's good to switch things up but not too often if you understand what i mean do you do some testing to determine uh what kind of athlete you have in front of you whether they might need high intensity or or not or what's your view on testing just generally speaking uh yeah i I do uh just like a, a normal quite normal power duration curve uh, to find to find out a, like a general uh, idea of what uh, uh, you know their anaerobic work capacity and stuff, and then I uh, also looking at the training and what they respond to. Uh, yeah. But uh, apart from that, I don't do too much testing uh, myself. I mean, I know know there's a lot of things happening with uh, with testing, uh, you know, the anaer- anaerobic work capacity and stuff like that. But uh, I haven't. Uh, gotten into that uh, myself yet but uh but i still look at it and i uh, try to find a you know i think if you follow training and you, you see how they perform at different thing uh different intensities and uh, levels you you get an idea of what uh what training they respond to yeah no, i think that from my perspective I, there are definitely different uh, tests that are do a great job of profiling the athlete but as you say you can the power duration curve is a great way of profiling the athlete and then at the end of the day i think that the most important job of a of a good test is for you to be able to just profile the athlete and in some cases set some tr- workout targets perhaps but i think that we can also get overly uh into the wheels with training targets in in some cases and and the more important part really is to figure out who the athlete in front of you is what what is their profile like and and then you kind of can deduce based on that okay so what sort of training might they respond to and and then uh, then the rest comes from there really that that part isn't isn't as the difficult part is that getting the right profiling done and and then the intricacies of different testing protocols uh, have can certainly have have a lot of value but uh, but i think that there are different ways of achieving the same same outcome if you yeah if you see what i mean there uh, so so that's uh, just looking at the power duration curve definitely can give you a perfect view of, of what the athlete is like in terms of their physiological makeup yeah i mean uh like you say, there are lots of different opinions on on all that stuff, of course. And uh, but lo- as you say, the uh, like the end goal is to figure out how to uh, get the best out of it, uh, each athlete and 
for me, it's it's a lot about having a starting point, and uh, uh, then there are so many so many factors, other factors as well that that you know determines how uh, an athlete responds to training, how they recover, and everything. So, uh, you know. I like to have something to uh, to start with a test or uh, even you know power data history. If someone has a lot of it, you can uh, figure out a lot just by by looking at that. But it's again, it's not something uh, that determines everything because it's it's a process along the way, and I change things and I uh, you know adapt depending on how how they respond uh, during the different uh, periods of training. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that uh, with Patrick, for example, you have been doing a bit more high intensity because he has a flat, uh, flattish power curve. So is that generally uh, the way you do things that you, uh, well, and, and that was early in the season, I think you said. So, so earlier in the season, you, you do want to work on weaknesses, so to say, in, in this particular example. But if somebody is generally good at producing those high powers then they don't really need to do that sort of training or is, is that uh, as a as a rough overview uh, a good example of how you work yeah i would say that's uh, that's uh, about how i do it because it's uh, you know i figured out some people uh, who has that uh, not so flat power curve and probably has i don't know maybe naturally have a high uh, anaerobic work capacity or maybe through training uh they tend to have a long need a lot of time to kind of uh, suppress that uh, system uh so i don't do a lot of intensity at all or almost everything is below you know a good bit below threshold i would say and uh yeah but if you have a professional athlete or even someone else who uh maybe have a more normal power curve i think uh can be good to to do some intensity just because uh at some point if you do too much of the same thing uh, you you stagnate as well so it's good to can be good to divide the season up into different parts uh so that's one thing and i also think in some cases, if you uh, work at that top end and you don't, and you don't do it by, uh, you know, doing a ton of pure anaerobic training or or of that sort, uh, you can kind of transfer that by the, into the more specific phases sometimes as well. But uh, but but either way, I mean, for someone like like Patrick, where, where we have done, I mean, he he needs to work uh, to get his. Uh, top level up a bit uh, then then you kind of have to do uh do a little bit more of that that high intensity stuff at some point but at the same time i would never uh, have someone do that kind of training close to a race because uh, then you start uh, you risk uh, using the the wrong energy systems too much uh, during the races which is always a bad thing so. yeah yeah and uh, then uh, moving on to discuss the run uh, what are some tips uh, regarding run training uh, run training i think even more uh, than the others uh, it's even more important to uh, 
to fo- focus on just consistency maybe for some athletes you you, you can get very run fit for uh, for a long distance race by just running without doing anything uh, special or any or much speed work or harder workouts uh, especially age group athletes uh, as as they get older because it just uh, you know the, the breakdown is so an injury risk is so much higher so so I have some athletes I train for age group that I don't do any like special work. I just build, uh, you know, build volume in a reasonable way throughout the season. And then, of course, the professionals they have to do uh, do more of that. So, but I'm a bit more careful with uh, with the speed speed work out there for sure. Yeah. What what type of uh, quote unquote speed work would professionals be doing, or would you actually would you be going above threshold and do shorter intervals, or, or would you refer to kind of threshold intervals or something like that that is not necessarily speed work in the traditional sense of the word, but still a lot faster than uh, Ironman race pace or or even half Ironman race pace, uh, slightly faster than that. So what what's, what's, does speed work look like for the professionals? Uh, it depends a bit uh, when it is during the year, but uh, f- for some uh, for some of them, I do like just traditional uh, uh, like thousand meter repeats or fifteen hundred meter repeats uh, at just below threshold. I would say. Uh, but I'm a bit more careful with that, uh, even with them sometimes. Uh, so I would say, uh, like the the most common uh, intervals with the, even with the pros are like are the long uh, the long intervals, uh, either by a, a standalone interval session where they where they kind of do. Uh, let's say 12 to 18 kilometers of interval work uh, somewhere between maybe standalone half marathon and marathon pace, that kind of work uh, and similar, a bit slower, uh, but similar kind of workouts built within uh, the long, uh, the long runs. So, uh, so to me, that's, uh, and I do that with some, some age group athletes as well, of course, but uh, a bit less, uh, but I think, yeah, uh, I think that that can be a good uh, good way to build that kind of stamina or uh, to last the whole a whole marathon by increasing the speed a little bit, but but without doing anything crazy. Yeah. Um, what's your view on run volume? Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's. I think uh, that's also an area where you have to be careful in in the beginning a lot of people do uh, do maybe too much too early but uh, of course it's uh, it's important because it builds that uh, you know the toughness you need to to last the whole run but uh, uh, you can also get in, injured if you do too much too early so I, I like to start at quite uh, you know at a reasonable level and then I build it slowly throughout the season kind of but uh yeah uh, it's for sure important yeah right and uh if we move on to racing uh do you have any advice around uh race execution race planning and anything regarding racing to help people get the most out of themselves on race day 
Uh, that's also something that's uh, very different between age group athletes and uh, the professionals. I coach. If, I mean, for most age group athletes, I would say uh, that they should go uh, easier than they think, in, especially in the beginning of the races. Uh, there's so many people that stress out uh, if they lose a minute or two, you know, in the early parts of the swim or the bike, but usually. And that doesn't mean anything uh, the second half of the run or uh, you know during the run at all. So uh, I think you should you have to stay well within yourself, and you have a, you need to have a good plan uh, before the race. And it's always better to uh, uh, increase the pace along the way rather than the, uh, doing the opposite. So uh, uh, whereas for professional athletes you have to uh, uh since you're racing for uh, against others and uh you have to take a bit more chances maybe sometimes uh, to stay with the group uh, and uh i mean you see that all the time in for example in kona where uh there are so many people blowing up because they uh they take chances during the especially during the bike and uh, to stay with with the athletes they need to stay with in order to win the race uh, so of course that means a ton of people blow up blow up uh, <laughs> during the run and even during the bike uh, and in that case you can also have a good race like Ben Hoffman had a couple of times where he uh, does his own race and uh, runs his way into the podium but if you want to win uh, like a professional race like Kona you you kind of you have to stay with a with a certain people, and that's a big chance you have to take. So that's uh, very very different, I think. And uh, it's it's really the same when you when you look at pacing. Uh, uh, if there's, if it's a hillier course, or uh, if it's a you know because obviously if you want to maximize and do the best time you can on a hilly course, you have to go a bit harder. Uh, on the slow sections the uphills uh, but again if you uh, overdo that it's uh, it will you will pay for it later so for an age group athlete maybe you have to be a bit more careful whereas for a professional you, uh, who also has more training in their system they can go a bit harder so uh, yeah so it's, it's very different but i think uh, for, for 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 the you know general age group athlete i think uh, it's important to uh, yeah, be very patient and go uh, take it easy in the beginning yeah yeah and uh what about tapering for for, for racing uh how long do you like to have your athletes taper for a half for a full distance race and uh, and is that also something that's different between age groupers and professionals uh, i think it's mostly different uh depending on how much training they have done uh before the race i mean some some age group athletes are more time constrained and uh, if you uh, if you don't do as much work you don't need as long of a taper uh so that's different than but for an a race i tend to taper uh, yeah the pros two or three weeks most uh, a lot of the time uh, and the age group athletes uh, usually one to two weeks depends on but it depends. Uh, it's, it's never completely uh, set in stone that either. It's, uh, it's a lot depending on the athlete and what what kind of training they 
they've been able to do. But uh, uh, and it's also another factor is that it's simply individual. Some some people I uh, found that they don't do too well if they taper too much, and uh, they need maybe a few harder workouts even during taper time to uh, uh, fire on race day. So uh, it's uh, yeah, tapering is. Uh, one of the more difficult aspects of, of it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, some questions uh, specifically for regarding age group athletes and uh, how to optimize their training. First of all, uh, as you mentioned, uh, many, most age groupers have very busy lives and it can be difficult to fit in uh, all the swim, bike and run training and, and uh, not to mention recovering from it and adapting to it. So do you have any advice for how to do that, uh, whether it's time management or uh, mindset or anything that can help with, with fitting things in, but still being able to, uh, to recover and adapt to the training? Yeah, I think again, uh, being realistic with uh, with uh, with the time they have, both to uh, do the training and recover, and then uh, all the other commitments they have. Uh, I think it's easy to uh, take on too much, and uh, uh, which uh, works for a while, but not not never long term. So I think that's the the m- most important aspect. And then training wise, it's. Uh, uh, you know there are obviously different things uh, you can do to optimize the, the training uh, training time they have available and uh, but uh, and it's also that can be quite a difficult thing to figure out because uh, some athletes have very very little time and at some point maybe uh, you have to focus on maximizing the training stress they can achieve uh, during that time uh, even if uh, it might not be the, the optimal way of training uh, if they had more time, if you understand what I mean. Um, uh, so I think that's uh, sometimes more intensity if you have very little time can be uh, be a good thing just to, you know, uh, achieve some, you know, more training load, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, what would you classify as very little time for for which athletes would you uh would you load up the intensity a bit more like this and for which athletes would you consider their training to be sort of quite normally distributed in terms of intensity do you have any sort of thinking around where the line goes how many hours per week i think uh i mean i I have a a few athletes who have maybe six to eight hours available, six, seven hours uh, most of the year. And uh, I would consider that uh, for training for, uh, you know, three disciplines, quiet, little training time to, to have available. And uh, so at that point, I, uh, you know, I think maybe a bit more intensity can be, uh, be a good thing. Uh, and, if you have a bit more, like say t- 10 to 11, 12 hours and upwards, then uh, that, that's, that that can be kind of uh, in between a little bit. But but if, if you have that much time, that much time, it's uh, you you have some more uh, you know more 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 to play with, so to speak, and uh, more to uh, adjust. So. And uh, so I think if, if you're training for an Ironman, if you have six, seven, eight hours, that's uh, uh, 
that will never be enough to uh, kind of reach your full potential or anything like that. But it's possible to uh, uh, to do an Ironman of that and, and do well, especially if you uh, maybe focus on maximizing your uh, training stress during that time. And then if you can set aside, uh, you know, a few weeks closer to the race where you try to get in uh, the longer workouts that, that you need to do an Ironman, uh, then you can achieve some some good results that way too. I mean, it's not not hundred percent optimal, but it's it's possible to do do quite well that way as well. Mm, yep. And are there any special considerations for age groupers that do have a lot of time? Let's say fifteen plus hours per week, and they are very motivated and have quite ambitious goals. Uh, are there any special things that you would advise them uh i would uh, i would advise them to uh, s- uh you know start at the right training level and uh, or their fitness level i think uh nor usually when i come across an athlete like that uh as you say they're highly motivated and uh they want to make use of of the time they have and train as much as possible but uh sometimes uh, you know they haven't reached that fitness level they haven't uh, they don't have the training background to start training that much immediately which means that they probably do uh, a lot of the training uh, without absorbing all of it and uh, which is uh, you know it's a bit of a waste of time but it's also uh, after a while it will it will just uh, you know break them down because they can't recover from everything either so even if it's uh, frustrating to start at a lower level, I would uh, I would advise most of them to do a little bit less in the beginning and build build slowly and uh, use the extra time as uh, uh, recovery and uh, because that's that will probably make a, a bigger difference. Yeah, I, I had a very interesting discussion with with another Bjorn uh, German coach Bjorn Kafka, and uh, he talked about how uh, it's possible to quantify how how much training you can absorb based on an individual's vo2 max and uh, that was a really interesting discussion but it, it is exactly what you're saying uh, that uh, yeah depending on your fitness level you can absorb a different amount of training and and uh, anecdotally and uh, qualitatively we i think anybody who has been training for a long time uh, realizes that that you can do more training now if you're fitter than you did when you started and uh but but you're right i think a lot of people that have a lot of time available to train uh they maybe shouldn't use all of that time uh, because they they might not be at at that level yet where they have the fitness to actually absorb all the training and and this is again where triathlon is very different to a single discipline sport because i don't think that you have that problem too much in especially not in running because it's limited more biomechanically and in terms of injury prevention than uh, anything else uh, but also in swimming and cycling uh, unless you're training at a very high volume you're more as an amateur anyway uh, more unlikely to to overdo things but when you have those three different disciplines to combine it it easily ends up being that you uh, you overshoot what you what your fitness is actually capable of uh, of taking on at the moment yeah I, I agree completely with that because it's uh, uh i mean that's one of the great things about triathlon is that you you have the variety of the three disciplines but uh, it also means you're 
never quite happy with the training you do because there's always, you know, there are <laughs> so many things you can do. So it's easy to uh, overdo things. But uh, but it's in- interesting what you say about uh, view to max and finding out how much an, of training an athlete can absorb. Because what I do is, I mean, it's uh, mostly guesswork just based on what, what they've done before and uh, what, uh, you know, how they start performing in in training and uh you know develop from training but uh if you can take take the guesswork out it's, it makes things a lot easier of course yeah yeah it's it's early days for me but but i've had a, a couple of, of really interesting examples of athletes where i have kind of quantified that training load and and made adjustments based on this uh quantification and and they've actually already started to see some quick improvements based on that so so, so I'm cautiously optimistic that that's. Uh, I'm never going to say that it's the be all end all or anything, but but it can be a useful tool uh, certainly to to have in the toolbox when it comes to training planning. Um, yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, uh, then I have a couple of questions around uh, professionals uh, and professional racing. So, first of all, what do you think these days it takes to to become a reasonable level professional triathlete? In terms of their commitment to training and and to the uh, and to the sport in general and the, and the, their lifestyle as a professional athlete, uh, you have to be very complete as an uh, as an athlete as a triathlete. Now, for a professional, you can't really have uh, any weaknesses. Of course, you can you can afford to lose maybe a little bit of time swimming uh, or in any other disciplines, but. Uh, uh, the racing is so even now. There are, you have so many good swimmers, and uh, so I think that you you need to have, to be at a good level in all three sports, and you, you have to uh, you know assess your <laughs> where your strengths and weaknesses are, and, and and work work on them until you get to that point. Uh, you know, in order to have a uh, you know. Successful career as a professional, or or do well in the races, and that's something that's changed quite a bit from uh, when I was racing. Because uh, during that time, and uh, even during the nineties, of course, uh, the athletes uh, had a very good level, uh, but uh, it was more un- a bit uneven between athletes. Someone could still win a race while not being the absolute best swimmer was more spread out so to speak and then things started changing because uh, people started swimming more people started swimming faster uh, so you could get a bigger group out of the water and all of a sudden uh, you don't have as much chance catching up anymore and this because the bike is also faster when you have more people around them and which also means that some people save a bit more energy and run faster so uh, so these days yeah you have to be a really good swimmer and you have to uh uh yeah you can't lose too much time in any other disciplines anymore so uh so i think that's uh something you know you really have to look at if you if you're aspiring to be a, a good professional triathlete yeah we talked about how the the volume of training and the intensity of training might have changed a bit uh one thing that I'm wondering is, uh, do you think there is a difference now in that most professional athletes have coaches, whereas when you started out, maybe more of the uh, of the athletes were self-coached and uh, putting things together themselves? Uh, is is that something that you that you uh, you've seen? 
Yes, I think. Uh, I mean, people had coaches back then too, but uh, I think it was more uh, more common to uh, to be self coached uh, even still. And uh, nowadays, it's just yeah, like I mentioned before, I think it's more professional. We know know a bit more and. Uh, uh, and just through science but also uh, of course you know the athletes that uh, started racing uh, uh, you know hard in the 80s and 90s they uh, uh, they kind of figured everything out by themselves and a lot of the things they learned is of course you can apply today too but uh, you know now we we know so much more both from both the professor you know professional and scientific way and through experience that uh, i think uh, it's very different that way uh, mm. so people have more coaches but it, the, i think also the uh, yeah the coaching is uh, in general more uh, professional is maybe not the right word but it's more uh, everything is more structured I yeah. think. and uh, i think in general uh, the, the, I mean, there are so many things that have just evolved. If you look at, uh, for example, bike positioning, and uh, you know, people didn't really pay attention to uh, equipment and and that stuff too much before. But now, you know, everyone or mostly everyone sits have a good aerodynamic position on the bike. They, you know, uh, they think about equipment, tires, uh, suits, helmets, everything. So. Everything is kind of uh, faster and more streamlined, and it was, there were bigger differences before. Uh, you know, these days you can't really, you can't get a fifteen-minute lead off the bike in a big race anymore because everyone has optimized most things a lot more. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give to uh, to athletes that are considering taking a step to start racing professionally? Uh, you have to be really. Uh, you really have to like the lifestyle i, I mean I, I, my career wasn't uh, the most successful one but i i still enjoyed it a lot the whole process and everything and uh you know if, if uh, despite you know uh, except for a few very high profile athletes uh, you will probably not make a lot of money uh, if you try to you know be a professional athlete in the true sense of the word and living off of the sport so and it can also be quite negative to uh, be out of the you know normal work life for for that many years. So I think you have to be aware of that uh, first of all, and then of course you have to be realistic about your capabilities and uh, where you are and where you can get and make a plan uh, how to you know improve and uh, get through level that you need to uh, to get to and. Uh, you know, it's uh, you can always break down what uh, you know what is needed to uh, to do well at an event. So I think that's that's very important to do as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's finish up with some rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is: What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports? Uh, as far as book, I think Scientific Training for Triathletes uh, by Phil, Phil Skiba is, uh, yeah, that would be, be it. 
Yeah, uh, past guest of the show, uh, Phil Skiba. Uh, I can't remember the episode number, but listeners, you can just put Phil Skiba in the search bar on scientifictriathlon.com and find that episode. Uh, next, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Uh, for a training tool, power meter. And what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Uh, I would say being uh, very stubborn, <laughs> but <laughs> that, that also was my downfall. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's can, it can be good, both good and bad. Yeah. Uh, all right. And fi- finally, Bjorn, tell the listeners, where can they find you? We have a lot of Swedish listeners, actually. So uh, uh, tell us about your website, social media, and so on. Uh, my website is bjornandersson.se. So, uh, yeah, if you type that in or just uh, google search my name it will it will come up uh i'm not super active on social media actually but i have an instagram account ba coaching so uh, you can you can follow that as well for very sporadic updates right great uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come and have a chat uh, it was uh, great i enjoyed it and i hope to talk to you again soon yeah thank you I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com where you will have links to Bjorn's website and Instagram as well as a couple of episodes mentioned here. Uh, the interview that I did with Phil Skiba in episode 173. I actually looked up the book by Phil Skiba that Bjorn recommended as his resource and currently uh, some uh, joker is selling it on Amazon for $600 so maybe a bit much but uh, I think based on some forum posts that Phil Skiba is about to release a new edition of his book uh, in the coming months or so. So I'll actually try to get him on again and discuss that when that happens. And hopefully uh, at that point, there will be more availability of uh, this the new edition of his book and at uh, more reasonable uh, prices. Uh, uh, again, the fact that you can now find his old book for $600 is probably just some individual selling his uh, old copy rather than having anything to do with uh, Phil Skiba or the publisher of the book, uh, the the old edition. It's just out of print, I would assume. Uh, the other episode that I will link to is the one that I did with Bjorn Kafka. We discussed here in this episode how potentially VO2 Max can relate to a sustainable training volume. And that's something we discussed at length with uh, Bjorn Kafka in episode 286. So that can be interesting if you want to hear more next week i interview phil bellinger on the muscle fiber typology and how that relates to training so how your whether you're more fast twitch or slow twitch dominant uh, can relate to your training characteristics how you adapt to training and so on and so forth a really interesting interview and we will also discuss uh, some new methods for assessing muscle fiber uh, typology If you want to take your training, racing, and endurance performance to a new level, then check out our coaching services and training plans on scientifictriathlon.com. We would uh, be glad to help you out and help you achieve your triathlon goals. Big thank you, finally, to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take the free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy or use the quick carb calculator to get a fueling strategy. You can get 15% off your first order of electrolytes or precision fuel products with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15.
And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft.